Hello, everybody, and welcome to Best Seat on the Couch, the podcast where we only moan appreciatively in between <laughs> bites. My name is Alex. I'm Iris. I'm Marcus. And I'm Michael. And today, we are joined by a very special One Piece guest <laughs> star. That, of course, is Katie. Katie, thank you for coming on to the main portion of the podcast. Hello, I'm thrilled to be here for this most wonderful uh, anime. Let's yeah. <laughs> go! <laughs> We've dragged you, enticed you, I should say, uh, to the main podcast with, um, of course, another anime. We have spent 130 episodes cooking the perfect podcast. <laughs> oh my god. And you had no choice but to give us 20 points. <laughs> Well, we do have Katie today because we are talking about the anime series Food Wars, Shokugeki no Soma, directed by Yoshitomo Yonetani and produced by Studio JC Staff. The series premiered in April 2015, running for 86 episodes over five seasons, with the most recent season concluding in September 2020. The series is adapted from the manga of the same name, written by Yuto Tsukuda and illustrated by Shun Saeki, which debuted in November 2012 and concluded in August 2019. The story follows Yukihira Soma, a high schooler aspiring to take over his family restaurant from his father, Joichiro, whom he constantly challenges to cooking contests to see who is better. But after Joichiro accepts a new job abroad, Soma is enrolled into the elite Totsuki Culinary Academy, where he is thrust into the unforgiving curriculum of the school. Determined to prove himself to his father and his peers, Soma aims to become the number one chef at Totsuki and to defeat the legendary Council of Ten, the top ten student chefs at the academy. The Food Wars manga is currently one of the best-selling manga series, with over 20 million copies in circulation, with the anime being met with both criticism, uh, both <laughs> criticism and acclaim when it was released, with fans both praising the narrative and the attention to detail regarding the food, while also <laughs> criticizing the amount of fan service. I can't imagine why that would be controversial in any context. <laughs> And as always, there will be spoilers. So, Katie, this is the portion where we talk about our first experiences uh, and impressions of uh, the show that we're talking about. So I'll start us off by saying that I watched this show in college. And, oh boy, this was a wild one to watch in college. I remember watching it with... Um, a couple of my dorm neighbors in sophomore year of college and having to turn down the volume <laughs> of the projector because I was afraid people would think we were watching like porn or hentai uh, from the hallways. But I remember really enjoying this show for multiple aspects. Um, that being the food and the story arc, and also just like laughing hilariously at the amount of fan service that was in the show. Uh, and I remember just being like interested in what was coming next and really falling in love with the dynamic of, of uh, Soma and the rest of his, uh, his classmates in the in the school and seeing how they kind of bounced off of one another. And upon this rewatch, I have to say, season one is, like, by all accounts, still really good. Uh, it has, again, this, like, hilarious backdrop of food and fan service while also delivering a pretty, like, solid narrative story. And, like, we're following Soma, we're watching him grow as a chef, and, of course, we're watching the food wars and the food battles that he has between other students. And it's always a joy to see how him or Megumi or any of the other Totsuki members overcome these challenges based on like their own twist on a dish or their ingenuity. And yeah, I I really do love the the beginning and like the these at least first two seasons. I've only watched the first two seasons of Food Wars, uh, but I have it on good authority that 
it may decline a little bit after a couple of seasons. Um, one of us can probably comment <laughs> on that. Um, but yeah, I I really think that um, Food Wars is it's a hilarious gem of an anime. Maybe not somebody. It probably shouldn't be somebody's first anime that they ever watch. Otherwise, they might get wildly um, construed ideas about anime as a whole. Uh, but, I mean, well, yeah, all right. maybe it's representative. We sample. can equivocate on like how correct or incorrect those impressions <laughs> might be. <laughs> oh, Iris! I agree that it should not be anyone's first anime. <laughs> Iris, you have. Opened the door to me bringing even more degenerate yes. uh, anime to this <laughs> Since podcast. When? How? <laughs> Just now. In what uh, way? <laughs> I dispute but, this. But yeah, I really do think that Food Wars is yeah, it's just it's just a great anime, and I I always laugh whenever the heavenly music starts playing <laughs> in any kind of food <laughs> reveal scene. Uh, but yeah, that's my history and my experiences with Food Wars. But what about the rest of you all? Uh, what are your first experiences with uh, Food Wars? So uh, this is Katie again. Um, I didn't watch Food Wars until 2020. And it was right when uh, we were like a couple months into the pandemic where the like fun part had worn off of being like, ooh, no work, you know, we're like forced vacation and it started to get, you know, kind of scary. <laughs> and uh, the boredom was kicking in and the like pandemic crazies were kicking in. Um, and I had just also gone through a breakup and I had been laid off from my job at the time. Mm. So it was a, a not a good week for me. <laughs> and <laughs> I had a couple friends say, uh, you should watch Food Wars because I had been telling people I had been looking for something that was like only silly. I wanted something that was not romantic in any way, shape or form because of aforementioned breakup and state of the world at the time. I was like, I can't have anything serious. I can't have anything romantic. I need something like dumb. Um, and boy, this delivered. <laughs> so <laughs> had a great time watching Food Wars. Um, and yeah, I mean, we won't talk about the later seasons. The last one, uh, uh I would just skip it, honestly, for anyone that loves the show. Uh, just watch the first few and call it good. Um, but that's how I got into it. Yeah, it's one of those, uh, like, a shame they never made uh, any Matrix sequels kind of situations. Exactly, yeah. For, like the, record, for the record, that is a reference. <laughs> I like the Matrix sequels. I will go on record as saying that, but that's, like, the that's the joke, right? That's the, like, originator. Even Matrix. Resurrections? Uh, okay, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly. the most recent one, right? Yeah, it's it's a shame they only made three Matrix movies. <laughs> yeah, just right. like how they never made a live action Avatar, the last Airbender movie. Yeah, like, what a shame. There is no movie in Boston. Yeah, so, I know. Yeah. Dang. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, so. I, you know, like I do for many of the anime submissions to this podcast, watched this uh, recently, you know, within the last month or so. Uh, I genuinely don't actually know if everyone was required to watch every single episode, but because I live with Alex, I did have to watch every single episode of this. It's, it's contractually obligated. Yes, contractually obligated. Like, it's actually in, in my lease, you know, like, anyway. <laughs> uh, the thing about this show, we schedule our episodes pretty far in advance, like a month to sometimes up to two. We know what we're going to be talking about, what our future topics are. That's just the nature of how we run this kind of behind the scenes, a little peek behind the curtain. So the moment that Alex said he was doing Food Wars, mainly Michael and Marcus, I will say, it was mainly you two, but you two <laughs> just started in on it saying, oh my God, Iris, you are going to hate this. Iris, you're going to have a terrible time. This is going to be Iris's least favorite show. She's going to be so mad when we finally talk about it. She's just going to be miserable this whole time. So I went into this experience with not a small amount of preconceptions here. And I'm happy to say I had a great fucking time. I had a fantastic fucking time. This show is amazing. And I am yeah. so excited to explain to you why exactly the two of you were wrong. And anyone who has listened to me talk about uh, anime on this podcast before knows that, you know, very uh, obviously the source of the uh, assumption was, you know, I have gone in against like fan service in anime. I think that a, a lot of fan service in anime really fucking kills the experience for me. And this is like fan service colon the show. I don't blame you for thinking I would hate it. 
but you were wrong. So in your face. Mark. Marcus, it worked. We yeah. got it to work. Like hook, line, and sinker, honestly. <laughs> we did it. We were successful. Oh my god. Is we're this out here playing chess 4D chess. Yeah, we're out here playing 4D chess. Over I never here. said I like all fan service. I said I like the show. Exactly. And that's why we did it. <laughs> you told me um, I would hate this show so that I would like it? In, in, some, res- in some respects. Uh, I mean, all I right. guess. Congrats. So, um,. I watched the first half of this show probably like a uh, like a year ago at this point, maybe a year and a half. Um, I believe Alex was the one that introduced yes. it to me, uh, along with Danielle. She was there, too. Um, and uh, I also had a blast watching this show. Uh, it was like I, it was hilarious, basically. Um, and I think that also it's a really good food show. Like I'm genuinely like. Yes. I am. I get so hungry when I watch the show because it looks. <laughs> oh my it all God, looks yes. so delicious. <laughs> and I all love like you know. To us, I'm not a chef, and I don't know a lot about food. But what they what they're saying about how to make the food sounds right to me. <laughs> so I'm like, that's so cool that they thought about all this stuff. And um, without doing any research, I I think like my my like my brain is being like some people have said that this like it's fairly accurate when it comes to the food. Um, so that's cool. Um, but yeah, so I re- rewatched the first half about a month ago at this point and uh, finished the first season. I actually binged it really fast um, just because I got strangely very invested into these characters <laughs> um, and the mm-hmm. story. Um, uh, and yeah, I, I, I think it's really good. I unfortunately did not get to watch any of season two. I was going to. Uh, I just didn't get a chance. And and unknowingly, it's not on any streaming service, um, which is very weird. But the third season is. It's it's not. The first season is on Hulu Plus for some reason. And the third and beyond are on Crunchyroll, and I'm very confused. I'm sure it's just a license thing. Um, But with that being said, I do think that the first season, like, I don't. uh, The first season ends uh, not at the end of Fall Selection, because there's still stuff to go. uh, And so I was, like, just a little bit disappointed in that but you know as the first season i didn't want like a complete experience but i was like i wish i had got to the end of fall selection um because i was genuinely interested in being like what's gonna happen with the top four from each group and it's really exciting <laughs> um and yeah i somehow genuinely are interested in these characters and i kind of want to watch the second season right now excellent i love your point about being like not a chef and watching all like the food science and discussion. I totally agree. I don't think I've actually learned anything from the show, but the show has made me think I've learned something from it. Exactly. It did make me reflect on what I knew when I was a kid and what I know now, because I keep having to remember that they're, cause they're not drawn like they're, you know, 14, <laughs> but they are. <laughs> um, and whenever they're like, huh, what is chutney? That's something from India, right? And me, like an almost 31-year-old, is like, obviously. But then <laughs> I have to remember like, oh, when I was 14 in like, you know, a small town in California, did I know what chutney is? I mean, I think I did. But like, would, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the average 14-year-old, depending on where you are in the world, know all of this worldly cuisine. The average cuisine. 14-year-old who the average 14 year old who read Percy Jackson knew what chutney was. (laughs) (laughs) It's a minor plot point. That's honestly overselling it. It, The the word is mentioned a couple times in one of the books. (laughs) This is really not relevant. Can we move on? (laughs) Today I learned. I didn't learn. I I learned nothing from this. (laughs) Um, I too watched this for the first time about a month ago. And uh, I also kind of binged it. Um, I actually <laughs> I got confused as, as to which was coming first, uh, How to Train Your Dragon Three or Food Wars. I thought Food Wars <laughs> was coming first, so I, I like oh. I like you know banged through it because I thought that I was gonna hit that Thursday deadline without finishing it, and then I was like, Oh wait, we're talking about How to Train Your Dragon, so this is a little awkward. But wait, um, did you not watch How to Train Your Dragon then? No, I did. I did. <laughs> I, I was able to squeeze it in You just made up there. the whole episode. Yeah, I, I just, I spent like significantly time more time. Happened. Yeah, I, I just spent significantly more time watching TV than I thought I would. But uh, all that being said, um, I, uh, I'm i actually kind of like getting into cooking um, just yeah. like, as a thing, right? So, now that you um, have a kitchen. Yeah, now that I have a kitchen. <laughs> now that uh, you have a place with a kitchen, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. So We're going to uh, eventually you know, accidentally dox ourselves. More yeah, I, I, oh, you know, definitely. I guess life update is <laughs> I've changed residences <laughs> in case anybody here cares. But um, uh, 
uh, yeah, like, I'm just, I'm starting to just, you know, try things, and usually it's just my favorite, you know, my, my previous favorite DoorDash, you know, dishes or whatever that I'm now trying for myself, and I'm getting, I'm starting to pick up, like, I, I guess the thing, the the through lines that unite all cuisines, right? Like some cuisines, of course, will have different, quote unquote, you know, trinities or bases of what makes most of their food tick, right? Uh, but there are all, there are similarities with a lot of different foods. And, you know, Japanese is certainly one kind of uh, cuisine that I've been experimenting with. And like, I am going to be honest, I am learning a lot watching this show. And it's not like it's not like I'm trying, you know, fancy ass dishes, right? I'm not for trying a fucking terrine or anything. I don't know. How, I don't know how to even start with a terrine, but um, I'm I'm like I'm watching him do the, I, the the. This will go into my favorite moment, but when he does the Chaplin steak or whatever, or however you pronounce that, with the uh, the Dawn episode, I am legitimately going to try and cook a Chaplin steak. That looks incredibly good, and it's easy. It's just onions, or you know, encrusted with the steak, right? That's that's pretty simple. As far as cooking goes, so I'm uh, I'm pretty psyched about that. And honestly, like the fact that there's like the fact that you know, considering that this is a fan service show, right? That there's like actual characters and they're like actually interesting, and I can actually get myself invested in them. And it's not like it's not quite at the ridiculousness of Kill a Kill, which is another one of my favorites. <laughs> but um, you know, it's not it's not trying too hard to you know go crazy, even though there are some truly crazy moments in the show it does kind of bring itself back down to earth it focuses on the food there's a lot of humor but it's measured and it, it's you know placed in correctly and stuff and i'm just really happy that this show is good like it's just a worthwhile watch for a number of different reasons that i wasn't really expecting yeah just to speak on the food part um they're the artists both the illustrator and the writer for shokugeki mentioned that they would consult like a, a professional chef for every meal that they were doing and they always had three or four backup dishes that they could just slot in because they were writing this weekly and with serialized manga it's like a hell of an industry but the fact that they paid so much attention to the food really does lend that extra extra quality to this this anime that would not be there if they didn't pay it as much attention to it and just really dive deep into like the historical aspects and also the scientific question mark <laughs> aspect. I'm not a gastronomist, but it sounds <laughs> like 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 someone said already. It sounds correct. I don't know if I can fact check that. It, it's good enough to fool non-experts. Yeah. Uh, my question is this, Marcus. As the aspiring chef, do you feel like you learned something? Oh, absolutely. And I I like. Do I feel like I want to challenge somebody to a cooking battle? Absolutely not. I would get I would get fucking cream. But I you know there's there's just something to be said about like watching cooking going on and like seeing the end result and being like wow that looks delicious and then being like I want to do that, right? Like that's the extra step that I've taken uh, because I'm learning how to cook and it's it's a uh, it's a good feeling, I guess. Plus as Michael said it makes you hella hungry, so that's that's a good motivator as well. And on that point, in 2020, when I started watching it, um, a friend of ours, Kyle, who's been on the One Piece episodes in the past, him and his wife mm -hmm. actually started doing shokugekis at home during the pandemic <laughs> because they were so bored and they would yeah, each so kind awesome. of challenge each other in our tiny redacted <laughs> apartments, right? They were like, I'm going to make a mysterious thing with whatever we have in the fridge. And they would like challenge each other to make oh something. So... This is uh, an inspirational show in many ways. I'm pretty sure that is the first time that anyone has out loud said, like, what city we live in or near. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't worry. Surprise, I'll, everyone. I'll, I'll scrub it in post. <laughs> I, did, I did make a reference. Redacted. I made Redacted. a reference to, um, to SFO being our local airport a couple episodes back. Because <laughs> that was, was plausible. We, that was plausible deniability. Yeah, for that no, one. it was, and it was also like it was very relevant to the point that was being made at the time. So, yeah. <laughs> tiny city and, apartment in anywhere in the United States, in some <laughs> somewhere in a. You also said California town, so but I think they know we live in California. Oh, yeah, it's okay. Sorry, I'll, I'll you restitch shit. your <laughs> your sound bites into there. Uh, all right. Well, why don't we talk about our favorite moments and our favorite characters for 
Shokugeki. And because I brought this show, I, of course, get to go first. <laughs> and I'm not going to take the ones... But I think I can call... I've already told you who mine was. I mean, you've already told me. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about Megumi. Okay. Uh, because, of course, she's obviously great, but a lot of people want to talk about her. Also, I'm not going to talk about her versus um, pink-haired chef Shinomiya. Because that's also a great moment. Um, so, instead, I think I'm going to shout out my second favorite character. Which is, of course, um, Ishiki-senpai. The um, seat number seven of the, <laughs> um, of the Council of Ten. And I love... Ishiki Senpai, just because of all the, there I I was talking about this to Iris. There's something about there's this trope in shonen anime that there's always like a top ten or a top something X number of things and going up against uh, I don't know whether it's like uh, the top ten ninjas in Naruto or the the Yonko in One Piece. There's always like that number where. Uh, we see our protagonists, like, push their skills to beat. And I really love uh, just, like, that concept. And having the reveal of Ishiki being uh, seat number seven in his, like, first debut episode is one of the few moments in the show where I was like, what? I did not expect that at all. <laughs> Also, just Ishiki as, like, a concept. Uh, his whole character, the fact that he's, like, in a naked apron, like, 90% of his time. Um, well, he's getting, like, shots of his ass whenever he's on screen. Um, kind of lends to that um, point that I know you're going to talk about, Iris. Um, the fact that um, in this show, the fan service is equal. You At cannot least. be revealing mm. my thoughts <laughs> almost, on this before we get to that point, equals. Alex. Yeah, almost I'm equal. There's a big asterisk. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the fact that, I mean, the fact that he's, the fact that he's there in the first place and uh, the he, that he has fan service as all, at least, is, is a point for the show. Uh, I mean, Kill a Kill had a little bit of that as well, but definitely not as much as um, Food Wars. Um, and I think... My so yeah, Ishiki is my favorite character just because he's hilarious and he's like another stepping stone for Soma uh, in the future. Whenever he challenges him for the top ten seats, um, as for my favorite moments, man, there's a lot of great food battles to choose from in the first season, but. I think I'm going to have to pick the first food battle in um, the training camp arc with, uh, I forget her name, but the brown-haired teacher that um, she tells them to go and grab make a Japanese dish from whatever you can find in the field here. Um, and I really love that episode just because it has the introduction of... Um, um, Takumi Aldini, um, and also the fact that we have Megumin and Soma working together and using their own various strengths to overcome this like crazy parameter for one of these dishes. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the food battle and the structure of food battles um, a little bit later in the show, but always that that um, twist of like each character bringing what they know to a dish and how they overcome the the setbacks that they may have had laid before them or meet the expectations of the instructor with what they know is always a joy to watch. Um, and I thought it was, again, very nice in um, their dish for... Um, for I think her name's Hisako, the the brown haired one, uh, instructor. When they're using her, I have the shrimp chips or whatever she's eating to make fried chicken. Her or... snack. <laughs> uh, oh no, yeah, no, no, no. Hisako, oh, it wasn't fried chicken. He, it was fried fish. Hisako yeah. is um, 
uh, Amarna's secretary. Um, the teacher you're thinking of is called Inui. Oh, okay. Hinako. Thank you. Hinako. Hinako, yes. Hinako, yeah. not Hisako, yeah. Thank you. Thank but her little rice snack. <laughs> rice yeah, crackers. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, those are my favorite characters and favorite moments. But uh, what about the rest of y'all? Who would like? Who wants to take Megumi? I'll take her. Yes. <laughs> Already, literally after that episode, and literally the same episode you're talking about. This is episode. Technically, it's two episodes, eleven and twelve. It's season one. Um, I was like, Megumi is best girl, and I've yet to be proven wrong uh, because she is. <laughs> you're, you're right. You're objectively correct. Yes. This is um, true. So yes, she is my favorite character. I think that, like, <laughs> it's so like it's so weird because I'm like, you know, the show is has uh, Soma as like the main character, and I'm like, I think Megumi is the main character now, um, <laughs> just because I love her backstory and her motivation and how it gets fleshed out in that in those pair of episodes, and I love how it comes through in her cooking. It felt. Uh, <laughs> It felt very ratatouille of me uh, of the show um, <laughs> to do that and to to and also because I know that they they gave an, they do another flashback to her in her um, her village in Fall Selection and she's carving the the fish thing the monk fish yeah, yeah the monk fish and I was like that was so impressive and I'm like I'm so proud of you um, <laughs> just because you know she is like the classic character archetype of like she doubts herself she has only just now like just barely passed into uh, I guess they're in high school now, um, yeah. and uh, that's right, first years. That's right, and um, and like, it's a classic archetype where like they're the underdog and they manage to rise up. She's in the top. Uh, she was part of the top four. I think I can't remember if she was in the top four at end of fall selection. I don't think so, but she she was. She yeah she yeah. Um, and I'm like I love seeing that progression because like you know, uh, 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 Soma's arc throughout this first season is much more about him absorbing knowledge and you know learning more like kind of about himself maybe in the sort of backstory and the and the world that he's in but megumi's arc is like an actual like underdog story to the top kind of arc um and so them going into the first season like this both having these arcs really complement each other um and really um uh, they make the season a lot better having them both at the same time. Um, and yes, so my favorite moment is also that episode, episode 11. I think it's called, yeah, it's called The Magician from the East. Um, and yes, mm-hmm. I was very confused about Shinomiya. And I was like, we just watched Love is War. This is so complicated. Um, there, there's only one person named Shinomiya in exactly. all of anime. Maybe this is like her uncle or something. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, again, as I said, I love the food war in this episode um, mainly because it is so pared down like you know previously we've seen i think at least two food wars if not three like actual shokugekis in the school and they're always you know surrounded by tons of like a huge crowd and they're on a stage and there's an announcer and this one is just like six people in an underground like in a kitchen in a hotel basement and i'm like Mm -hmm. it it, 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 like it calls back to like this is like what true shokugeki is it's like the essence of shokugeki um and i love the resolution of this food battle um one because i love the first of all i love the actual food battle itself that um soma has to be a sous chef it's like a perfect way to have Megumi be in the front this time. And, you know, they've been with each other for half a season now, and they've learned how to work together. But Soma has always been as in, in the lead, as, like, the lead chef. And uh, Megumi has never gotten a chance to really show what she's made of. And so her that moment when, you know, Soma just looks at her, and, and he's like, what do you want me to do? Because we can see that he is also an excellent sous chef. And so both of those characteristics are being like drawn out in this one scene. And it's, it's so good. And when it ends, they have this whole back and forth of the tie that eventually happens. And it's, it's brilliant because it's the perfect resolution because it's so early in the show. You can't have one of them win or lose. Cause it's like, if, 
they win, then it's like the show's over. And if, if they lose, then they're both expelled. So that's what happened, right? So it's like it's like a perfect construction of what just happened. I, I love it. So good. Yeah. Um I'll I'll hop in here. And Alex, I correct me if I'm wrong, I think you expected me to want to talk about Megami here too. Uh yeah, I thought so. Yeah, and granted, I love Megami. Plausibly my second favorite character. Uh, but I'm actually going to buck the long time trend of this podcast and choose the main character as my favorite. Yukihira <laughs> Soma oh, all right. is my favorite character in this show. Uh, and there's a couple reasons for that. First of all, every fucking time he does the, 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 the sequence where he takes off the towel and whips it out and ties it around his head, I instantly get so unbelievably hyped. It's a magical girl transformation. Literally, we had this conversation. I think, Alex, you said that it doesn't, it's not always the same. It doesn't pad for time. It's not consistent enough. So by Yeah, it's always slightly different, unfortunately, but. Yeah, so by your metric, it's not quite a magical girl transformation, but it's Close. So every time he does his not quite a magical girl transformation, instantly, I'm so hyped. And that's a very specific thing, but I think it sort of leads into my broader love for Soma is that of all the shonen protagonists I've ever seen, he is the one who most makes me want to root for him. I think there is uh, something of a phenomenon in, in shonen anime and manga and such where, you know, your main character is like, you know, treated like the second coming of Jesus and can do no wrong and always is pure of heart and is like, you know, but like literally has no flaws whatsoever. It is like, like, like beyond superhumanly perfect. And that can, you know, that can be inspiring. It's like, yeah, look at this person, like fighting for what he believes in and being the hero. And it can also get kind of irritating at times. It's like, you know, come on, man, you gotta have, you gotta have some kind of flaw. Um, and I do think that Soma, at some points, it's like, it is unreal the kinds of bullshit he pulls off during the season. Like, this kid is, like, what, 15? And he's he's crazy. Like, and literally, there's a whole, like, plot point about him, like, just not losing, like, period. Like, every loss, air quotes, he suffered can somehow be spun as a win. Or the not a loss in and of himself, all right? I mean, the, the Shokugeki with Shinomiya, like... He wasn't the real chef, you know, and it was a tie, so he didn't lose, right? With the false election, he got one fewer point than, um, I think Kayama is his name, the, the curry dude. But three of the judges rated his higher, so he didn't, like, lose, right? But all this to say, he totally, f- like, fits the profile of a kind of character that might make me annoyed for being too perfect, and yet... Every time he gets fired up, I am right there with him. And I'm not sure I can put my finger on what about him makes me so willing to immediately, like, jump up and 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 be convinced. To immediately, like, buy the... the whatever the fuck it is he's selling. It's because he's cute. <laughs> we invite you on our podcast and you come here and it's call me out. because his dad is super hot. <laughs> I don't disagree with that. Hot. His dad is super hot. Um, but yeah, it's just like 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 his his energy, the way he is constantly uh, not just uh, he's not dismissive of challenges, but he's always looking forward to them. He's so excited to show what he can do and to go up against other people. He's so excited to learn from everyone else. I mean, I love that he admits that there are people who know a lot more than he does and that his... Uh, his, I guess, ego or his pride in his own cooking or his, like, desire to win does not make him arrogant. It does not make him be like, you know, I'm the best and everyone's, you know, like, everyone's worse than me. Look at me be the coolest person here in the room. He's there to learn. And I love how much he admits that there are people, there are peers that he has who can teach him stuff. Uh, so I, I just love the guy. I love his sincerity. I love his enthusiasm. And... I'm there to cheer every time he whips that towel off his arm. (laughs) So for favorite scene, it's a little bit diluted, I guess. It's not like one explicit moment, but I really, really love 
the sort of latter-ish half of the false election arc where we get like one after another, like boom, 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 boom. These really close and focused, basically like personality or style profiles of all of the main Kyokusei cast. Because such a huge part of this show's theme is about playing to your own strengths, about knowing, you know, who you are as a person and how that informs your cooking and, you know, what you're good at, what you like doing, what you want to do. Everyone's got these titles, you know, um, the the Little Red Riding Hood of the Forest and the Prince of Smoke and all these, you know, crazy things that really are just focusing in on this is what you know, this is what you're good at, this is what you love. Like, it's a show that believes in its characters having this very strong sense of identity and... We see that time and time again, you know, the, the Shokugeki with Shinomiya, where uh, the, you know, big in charge dude, I forget his name, at the end is like, Megami, your strength is, you know, like home cooking. It's the cooking that makes people feel welcomed. Hospitality, right? Uh, Yukihira's like kind of his devotion to the eatery and like his tradition with his dad. And it's like, I'm learning all this. I'm learning from the best so I can go home and make Yukihira eatery, Yukihira eatery the best Japanese eatery in the world, right? Like that's who he is. And we spend so much time with them that by the time we eventually get the chance for everyone else to have their moment in the sun, it's lovely. It's lovely to see everyone else have their time to shine. It's lovely to see all these characters who have honestly been like sort of a background role for most of the season. They haven't really had a whole lot to do, not by any fault of theirs, but it's lovely to get to see them blossom and show off their strengths. And, you know, it really does feel like you can just sort of be happy for them along with all of their friends. I don't know. It's it's good characterization. And it was a lot of fun. All right, well, I was going to talk about Mega Me Too, but um, I won't. Uh, I will shout out, uh, I think I think the, the big cheese name is Din Gojima, and he is my second favorite. You mean favorite. Dio? Yeah, he is my second <laughs> favorite character because he is voiced by the same person who does Dio in the Japanese uh, dub, so... When he, <laughs> it's uh, it's uncanny actually. And then they even have that. I I know what what JoJo's reference you're referring to, Alex. I believe it happens in episode eleven or twelve. It's with, with the cabbage or some shit. I don't know. But, oh yeah, what he's like, uh, cabbage a pig. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh. I'll um. I was going to talk about Soma too. I think I'll just kind of talk a little bit more about Soma. Yeah, I just sorry. Um, uh, I'll talk a little bit about Soma too because uh, I think Michael, you had mentioned how the fact that both of them play off of each other so well is what kind of makes it ambiguous as to whether or not Soma like truly is the only main character of this show. Megumi, you know, uh, owns a lot of the screen time as well as a lot of the the arc, the 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 following of how we want her to succeed, perhaps even more than we want Soma to succeed, because Soma is already so skilled and talented when he gets when he starts. Um, and I think that there's uh, uh, we'll go into like uh, I guess I'll segue this into my favorite moment, which doesn't really have too much Megami into it, but uh, I do also want to kind of highlight that scene, that that one particular uh, thing where they use the rice crackers and fry the fish, because I think that that's like we, we get that, and that that's basically Megami just doing whatever Soma asked her to do. And, you know, Soma's like, you did great, because you did everything I asked you to do. And it's like, well, yes, that's great, but Megami, you know, could be doing more. And then, pretty much immediately after that is the, the Tureen, and getting to see Megumi, you know, take the, the stage. And, of course, as you pointed out, uh, Din is like, no, you're the sous chef, Soma. Megumi is taking charge here. You are letting her, you know, create the dish as she wants to see it. And I think that that was I think that that was very well crafted. I think that that entire arc, that entire four episodeish arc of the training camp, uh, was very well designed uh, from that kind of you know increasing power level perspective, if we want to put it in that way. Um, my favorite moment is actually the second Shokugeki that happens on screen. So I believe this is the one against Nikumi, um, uh, because first of all. Japanese dons are excellent. That that like everything <laughs> yeah. they said Don't about how they are cheap and they are filling and they are a, a perfect union of like meat and rich umami flavors is absolutely <laughs> true. And I vibe with that so fucking hard. Uh, but also, 
Uh, and then I also talked about how the Chaplin steak is like, whoa, shit, that looks pretty cool. And it's something that I've never seen before. And I'm actually interested in making that. Uh, but beyond that, I think it actually lends credence to like, obviously we're introduced to Arena as a character as being like the Satsuki of Kill a Kill, right? She is on top. She is a, you know, badass bitch. And she doesn't, she, she hates Soma for no apparent reason other than, she, you know, she hates his guts. So he immediately. He her feel things that she doesn't want to feel, Marcus. <laughs> what do you expect her to think about him? <laughs> he gives her the anime fang. That's what happens. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, like, we get introduced to one of Arena's lackeys, uh, Nikumi, or Ikumi's her actual name. Nikumi's her nickname. And so we're like, oh, okay, this is just, uh, this is kill a kill. This is, this is the, the low level, you know, sports club enemy that Ryuko has to defeat in order to move up a little higher so that she can, you know, actually face one of the, the top four or whatever. Uh, but then you get this, this revelation that, you know, first of all, I think the, you know, framing it in the sense of like, you know, obviously the meat was excellent, but your dish as a whole was not, you know, complete enough to wow the judges as much as Soma's dish did. Excellent ending. That's definitely a win for Soma. But then actually using Nikumi as, like, now one of Soma's friends. Like, Nikumi is so flummoxed at the fact that Soma did not really give a shit about winning. Like, he won and then was like, okay, that's great. You, By the way, you're part of the club, and I didn't actually care about being in the club because I wanted to find recipes for my restaurant. So, like, that, that being... Like, Nikumi is, like, so, like... Nikumi is so so like taken aback by that uh by that personality that she's I I don't want to say she's like weirdly magnetized to it or like certainly not attracted to it but like it, it brings her back she becomes more relevant to the plot but in ways as like a functional side character works and I think that's excellent because like again another thing about a lot of fan servicey you know animes is that sometimes they they will literally just cast characters aside they become you know, like caricatures of themselves for one episode and then you, you laugh at them and then they're gone. They never come back. But this time you took a character that seems to be very shallow and has, has no depth to her and then you bring depth to her. She, she you know, her meat is what becomes uh, the uh, replacement uh, fried chicken, the chicken karage. Yeah, right, the in fried that, chicken wars. In, the, in that arc with the fried chicken wars. Like, that's great. That's excellent. I loved every bit of that. So I'm very impressed with that you know again it's death that i wasn't expecting to see but was very happy to see at the end of it and that kind of steals a little bit what i was gonna say marcus because i mean yeah sure we all love megumi obviously she's the hero of the story in season one but (laughs) i think yeah my favorite characters in season one are all the side characters that get like absorbed into the crew and nikumi Mm -hmm. is number number one in that for the exact reason that you said like she is such a two-dimensional character i mean there are parts of her that are very three-dimensional but uh (laughs) she is introduced as such a side character evil villain that then becomes part of the crew and at the end of the season you know is all together with everyone complimenting Yuki's, you know, duck just by looking at it, you know, so she becomes such a wholesome character a little bit. And not to not just like becomes part of that club to make Donburi, but like, continues to make rice bowls throughout the entire season as her dishes. And so it really shows that growth, I think a little bit for her too. So even though she's a side character, she has her own path and her own journey that she's on which in other seasons of this show, I think they do a really good job developing everyone in that way. And she really gets into Bullsock. Like, I respect the hell out of her for sticking to her word. Like, the moment in, uh, it was summer vacation, and Soma calls her and it cuts to her on the couch with a book of Bullsock recipes, I'm like, damn, this girl's the real one. Seriously. And so it's it's such a great thing to include, that it wasn't just a you know, low-level villain that he defeats in early school years, you know, but that she has her own journey that she's on as well. Um, Ikumi got got Fire Evelyn. (laughs) She was was an enemy and then she joined the team. Oh my God. I, I mean, like nobody I, else really got could, this reference. <laughs> hey, let me let me let me put it in maybe some terms if you more of us will understand. She got Steven Universe. <laughs> yeah, a little lapis lazuli. Yeah, little Levis Leslie, little Bismuth, little uh, Paradot, <laughs> little like every antagonist that ever existed in that show. 
hmm, a common plot point we're seeing amongst other shows. Um, but yeah, so I love that as a as a character trait. And she has that in common with the Aldini brothers. Like they also do something similar in that they're kind of like frenemies in this first season. Um and then as far as favorite moments go, I have two that are so small, but I think they speak to like two things that I love so much about this show. And one is the first time we meet um, Edina, she is judging the food of like a bunch of random people that you never see again. <laughs> and it like cuts to a scene where she is tranquil in a hot tub, you know, like in an outdoor, <laughs> like hot bath. And then she turns and there's like a lowland gorilla next to her. And that's how she describes the food that she just ate. It's as if you're in an outdoor spot with a gorilla. And I loved that scene because I was like, oh, this is what I'm watching. Like, this is how we're comparing things. It's such a hilarious way to introduce a flavor and uh, such a funny part of the show that I really appreciate that every time they have the food, they have this whole scene that's um in play and she doesn't just say it's disgusting she she gives you exactly why it's disgusting and what it feels like um and then counter that with like a very heartfelt moment which is right at the end of the first season when you hear who the finalists are who are going next to the you know who who passed the preliminaries and Yuki, the girl that lives in the Polar Star dormitory that has all the wild animals and all the wild game, she's like, oh, Megami, I'll be your number one fan. I'll be your number one cheerleader. I can't wait to cheer you on. Wow, this is so great. Wow, how exciting. And then Fumio, the like dorm head, comes over and she just says, hey, I'll make your favorite food tonight. That was a really good meal that you served. And then Yuki just like balls <laughs> and it totally <laughs> destroys her and they hug. And I love that moment because... It shows how, you know, seriously these kids take their cooking and how much they all want to grow and how much they all love each other and what they, but how much they all love what they're doing. And even though it is a silly cooking show for, you know, teens and it has all this fan service, like there's still heartfelt moments like that, that make you remember that this is, you know, it's real. And I remember being, you know, a kid and having really, really big passions like that and how something so unimportant could be so devastating at the same time. <laughs> I want to actually talk a little bit more just about the vibe of um, Kyokusei. Uh, is Polar Star the, the English? Polar Star is the literal translation. The literal translation? Okay. Uh, the subtitles always said Kyokusei, so that's how I know it. Depends on where um, you watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not sure that I have any like point about the narrative to make by talking about this, but I, I just feel like it's important to share that I vibed particularly strongly with the depiction of Kyokusei because it is extremely similar to a, a living experience I had uh, myself in college. Uh, so I went to school, uh, I was a theater major in college, uh, and the first two years I lived in a dorm that was explicitly for uh, performing arts students like not you know uh, solely or not uh, you know you didn't have to be a theater major or a music major to be there but it was sort of a self-selected community of people who were interested in performing arts so you know we had engineers living in that building who also were then you know in the marching band or in one of the dance troops or something like that and I was really shocked by how much the depiction of Kyokusei reminded me of that living experience because you have a whole bunch of people in one space who all sort of have not exactly the same precise interest, but an overall sort of shared love for a broad field, you know, who all have their own sort of personalities, their own like values that they're pursuing within that, but who are close enough to be able to share that love with each other and share the love of what they do, you know, be able to uh, experience that journey and that growth, the, the 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 process of learning together, to learn from each other and with each other, and you know we even had literally like in this in this dorm we literally had you know not Fumio but someone close to her you know a, a uh, uh, you know white haired woman in her seventies who to this day I consider like one of the best mentors I've ever had. She didn't live in the building, but like you know details, uh, <laughs> and it it just it hits it's so close to home for me and it feels so true so you know if any of you really liked kokusei and that vibe like i want to let you know it's real they got it 
dead on. And they even had an almost naked man in your ceiling bidding you good morning, I assume. <laughs> you know, we're going to just move Theater on. Theater major. <laughs> I think that was Iris's favorite part of the day, to be honest. Uh, speaking of uh, naked men uh, and other naked people, why don't we talk a little bit about, well, I feel like we can't talk about the fan service without talking about the foodgasms as well, because they're one and the same. And I'm glad that you brought up the uh, the Western lowland gorilla, <laughs> Katie, because all the analogies that they make of how the food tastes, or maybe they get like punched by a crab because they had they added crab to this dish, or the weird like Napoleon riding a lobster because <laughs> he put lobster in the dish. All of those, or you know, every time there was a, a squid or octopus yeah, dish, and yeah. it just cut to yeah, the yeah. literal <laughs> like tentacles. like tentacles. Just yep. Yeah. So I wanted to get your opinions on the foodgasms and the fan service and on what if that detracted from the experience upon your first watching, or if you became slowly jaded to it as time went on, as I feel um, I may have when I first watched it. Yeah, I think this show is uh, very good because it is very good at desensitizing you to all of these images. Um, <laughs> over after, after a certain period of time, I was like, ah, yes, this is the show. Um, and uh, I think that it does a lot of work with uh, the fan service to be to be honest in 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 some cases maybe not all cases um but i think what it does is it makes the food eating experience truly like exciting because i'm always looking for like how are they going to react to this one um and it always made it fresh like i think that in the back of my head, I'm like, you know, watching this show and the characters are giving their opinions on the food. And I'm like, why am I watching Chopped, <laughs> but in anime form? <laughs> now, if Chopped had foodgasms on the show, that would be even better because <laughs> Chopped is a great show. But I think that what it adds is it adds this level of excitement that is not there when you're just eating food because you know eating food is a very like personal we're, we're not actually eating the food the characters are and so how do the writers and illustrators express how freaking good this food is like they can't just say it they're actually showing it and uh i really appreciate that i think it's done very well show don't tell yeah uh i'll say that it, I, I think there's definitely aspects of it that are good. And Michael, you touched upon a lot of them about how, like, they will explain exactly what is making them feel so good about the food. So it's like, oh, okay, it's because you like this flavor or that ingredient or this combination of things that comes together. And I'm like, I appreciate that. Um, they mostly made me uncomfortable. <laughs> That's just that they mostly made me uncomfortable. And... Uh, as soon as I, as soon as uh, Soma is introduced as doing like the weird kind of quote unquote experimentation with the squid tentacles or like the grilled squid tentacles, I was like, I know exactly where this is going. I'm not gonna like it when it comes on screen. And then it came on screen. And it was like, I was right. I didn't like that. <laughs> and then it happened again, and I was like, I did not like it the second time either. But holy shit, this is the plot twist. Marcus was the one who was upset with the fan service the whole time. <laughs> uh oh. I mean, it, it, I, but again, Michael is right. Like you're desensitized to it. And of, you know, of course I, I loved kill a kill and I can't really defend myself against that either. So, um, <laughs> it, it, you know, it's just kind of like different ways that it's animated different, you know, the, the sound design, I guess, if we want to call it that, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't think it could have done without it, but I will just be like, nah, it's not for me just the same. Yeah, I think that um, the parts where I get uncomfortable is when it becomes like a little bit too porny, where they're like, uh, and they're like, get all fidgety. 
And that's where I'm like, yeah, you know, yeah, it's fine. I'm going to turn down the volume and hope my roommates don't hear that. Um, but <laughs> where I love it is when they do the like cut scenes to like, oh, I feel like I'm being embraced by this fish. And it's like a half naked dude with a fish head. And like, that's just objectively <laughs> hilarious. Um, so I think that part of it is is very fun. And then the the one other thing that I think about every time they eat something and they have this like very strong reaction is I think I'm a really good cook. Like I love cooking and I make really good food. People have told me I make good food. But then I sit mm-hmm. down to eat and I'm like, wow, like I don't feel like I'm being embraced by a half naked like potato or whatever I'm eating. <laughs> how do you know what it's like to be embraced by a half naked potato? Yeah, so you can only just, know by how do you know that eating <laughs> your food does not make you feel like I you're know. being embraced by a half naked? Really, what it means is I have to like go out and eat more expensive, fancy food. I guess. Um, I think you need to do the science. <laughs> I think you need to participate in food wars. You yeah, need to challenge people. I think you need to isekai yourself into the anime. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so this this little, little mini rant of mine has been a, a minute coming. I sort of alluded to it earlier uh, that there was a lot of conjecture that I would hate this show and that I ended up really liking it. I will start off by saying that, you know, there were definitely times when the fan service in the show was like, okay, come on, that's a bit much. Um, <laughs> one of the moments that comes to mind is uh, the... I forget who it was. It was one of the people. I think it was actually Ikumi's uh, fall selection uh, course where she like walks up to the stage and the shot is just like kind of on her boobs from behind. And they literally are like flapping up and down for like 15 seconds. as like breasted boobily as you will. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. When she serves her food to the one of the twin judges. And yeah, the whole time yeah, while she's sitting there judging, they're, I was like, wow, mine were blowing that in the perky. wind. <laughs> well, I was like, literally, these are like animatronics. Yeah. Like, she's just attached like little rotors <laughs> to her boobs to wave them up and down because that's the only way they could continue to be moving after this long. So sometimes, yes, sometimes it really bothered me. But I think, you know, perhaps in my many diatribes against this exact topic, I have given off a misconception about why it is I don't like most fan service. Because in most other animes, right, uh, uh, fan service is, there's a lot of differences between what's in a lot of stuff and what's in Shokugeki. You already mentioned, Alex, that there is a much more even divide of men and women being naked on screen. I mean, Ishiki is like the majority of it, but it's also like literally going back to episode two when it's this business executive trying to take over the shopping district. And yeah, it's, you know, the main character who is sitting down to eat Soma's very first like exhibition in the show is a woman, but all the dudes around her are men and they all got naked on screen. So... Point number one, it does not feel male gazy to me as much because it is not as much solely focused on the the female characters. Point number two, the fan service is meant explicitly as humor. It is ridiculous. It is utterly absurd at every single moment. And it's not supposed to be taken seriously as a part of the story. Part of what I hate about fan service and other things is that when it just kind of slots itself in to what is otherwise, like it's in what is otherwise like a scene that you're supposed to like, you know, like things are actually happening. There's plot arcs, there's narrative going on, there's character development happening. And then there's also fan service in there. The implication is that you're supposed to treat all of those things with the same level of seriousness, that they are all, all, they're all it's like relatively equally important to the storyline. And that grosses me out when it's like, hey, it is equally important that this dude, you know, comes to terms with his traumatic backstory and that we see this woman's boobs. That's what these two characters offer the narrative, and they're the same thing. That I really hate about anime, and especially in a fan service in anime, and it, that it's so widespread. And in this, uh, and in this show, no one's fan service was meant to be anything important for any reason whatsoever. It was all just to be fucking absurd, and you laugh about ha ha ha. You know, she ate a curry, and now she's naked swimming in a gigantic bowl of curry while angels are singing in the background. It's dumb. It's funny. It's not meant to be serious. And my third point actually kind of going on that is like most of it, the parts of the fan service that bothered me were all the parts that happened in real life because most of it happens in the imagination. 
And that means that the narrative and all the other characters around are not kind of like implicitly condoning this sort of weird and contrived kind of hypersexualization that happens in, you know, all these fan service moments. Because it's like, man, if I'm watching this show and... Uh, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm struggling to think of an example from something I've watched because I'm great at not remembering the things I don't want to. But, like, as a hypothetical, right? If it, It's like, if these sort of weird fan service moments happen and it's in real life and it's... Uh, or actually, no, I'll use the example I said a moment ago. The the thing that really, you know, that stuck out to me is something that bothered me uh, is Ikumi's boobs flapping for literally 20 seconds. And the, you know, and she's a teenager and the judge who is a fully grown adult is just kind of staring at her boobs being like, hmm, you know, I don't know. I don't remember if the implication <laughs> to was supposed be to fair, be fair. Like... If I saw teenagers like tits doing that for that long, I would also be concerned. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was concerned, though. I feel like I remember the implication being as like, hmm, she, you know, she has bigger boobs than I do, which is, of she's course, the, you know, the first thing that any woman thinks. The uh, first meat thing that general, any woman thinks. Excuse me. <laughs> Oh, you're right. You're right. She gets promoted. Yeah. Katie can attest that when two women meet, the first thing they do is compare boob sizes. Whoever has yeah, the bigger boobs. Yeah, this is what I've done with every woman in my life. Yes, the, the woman who has the larger <laughs> boobs is the alpha in that situation. Damn, that's crazy. Uh, <laughs> no, but um, it's like because this happened in the real world and it actually happened and this you know adult person stared at this teenager's boobs for a while we're led to believe that this character is like yeah that's chill i'm just gonna like enjoy the fan service and it's a real thing happening versus all these moments that are imaginary it's meant as a metaphor like it is not literally happening they are imagining this or even if you want to they're not literally imagining those precise scenarios but we were being shown that as a way to describe what the sensation they're actually feeling is none of it is real even within the show mm, except so for the fan is... service of gin in the onsen doing a lot of really strong posing when oh, yeah. you uh, hear walks the, in. The, I, sorry, speaking of that scene, I love the fact that the censoring is his name, like, right over his head. It's good. But see, even there, right, that's another example of it's meant to be funny. Yeah. That is a joke, right? It's not just woven into a narrative full of other serious things, right? It doesn't feel male gazy. It doesn't feel like we're saying the men provide the drama and the women provide the view. That is what I hate about fan service in so much of anime. And this show mostly does not fall into those same traps. Yeah, like at the very end of the season when Ishiki is wearing the apron and his little booty oh, is right. out. And yeah. then everyone, like Takumi, like all the everyone that isn't part of the dorm is like, should we also be naked? Like, <laughs> is this normal? I, I, I love how you can see the arrows where their eyes are looking yeah. at his Also, the part where he whips off the apron and it's the revealed he's been wearing a Speedo underneath the whole his time. His third form. <laughs> well, first of all, is a great like clarification. It's like, hey, yeah, he wasn't like actually just like, you know, going commando dangling free and easy under there like he's had a speedo on but also it's a great little fake out moment like oh my god is he naked no he's got the speedo on it's funny it's a joke like i also love that they're all drinking rice juice and it's something yeah, totally yeah age appropriate, appropriate. They, 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 yeah. They, yeah. they multiple times talk about their age appropriate yeah, drinks yeah. and then one of them is acting drunk and the other one's like you're laying it on a little thick as yeah. if to imply yeah. that it the drunkenness is an act because they are teenagers literally all the problems in this show would be solved if you just admitted <laughs> that they're college students just admit it you know it i know it Everyone knows that the way they're drawn, the way they're written, they are in college. Please, please let us dispense of the necessity of the high school fantasy. Everything else already works. You can't have a shonen in college, Iris. I'm sad to tell you this. It has to be high school. The entire reason why it's a high school fantasy is because it happens in high school. Wait, was everyone else's high school not like this? <laughs> I yeah, I can count on one hand the number of times I wore pants to high school. Obviously. <laughs> oh jeez. All right. Well, I think um, that will do it for us, folks. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to Katie for joining us for this Yay! wonderfully hilarious episode. I love. Food we'll let wars. you know when we bring another anime that you want to talk about that's not one piece of course i mean you've already i'm so ready for fruits basket when you guys do it oh, oh I've, heard, I've heard things 
Ooh, let's talk I, about I things. I have not, Katie. You have to tell me the things. Oh, boy. All right. But this week's video that you can watch online that uh, is thematically relevant to us and is animated is called Opened by Nat Nathanic. Um, so go check that out for another restaurant-themed short animated video. And next week, Michael, you are bringing Surfs Up to the podcast. I haven't watched that movie in such a long time, but I'm excited. Uh, and please email us at bestseatpodcast at gmail.com if you have a show suggestion or just want to tell us about your own favorite moments and characters. Thank you to Ben from the Real Beast Podcast for our intro and outro theme. And once again, thank you so much for listening. And you will hear from us next week. Bye-bye. Thank Goodbye. you. Bye. Bye.